Just this week, I was looking at coffee makers, especially the bun type, the commercial kind, and I came across one on Facebook Marketplace that said, New in Box. All I could think of was, wow, does that really mean new for that price, for that list price? I couldn't believe it. So I contacted the guy and asked, and he said, yes, it's really new. It's still in the box. Well, for us, it's not a life of living in a box. It's a life of living in Christ. And it is in Christ that we are made new. My name is Trey Rhodes, and I'm the Connections Pastor here at Northwood Baptist Church. It's great to have you as we study the Word of God together. We're going to be in Luke chapter 22, and we're going to be looking at all 34 verses in Luke 22. So, or not all 34 verses, but 34 verses, the first 34 verses in Luke chapter 22. And we're going to be talking about the new you. And the interesting thing is, is we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and we're going to help us, uh, we are going to understand more, not only about the Lord's Supper, but the impact of Passover and the Lord's Supper on us as well. So I hope you'll turn there in Luke chapter 22. If you're a Life Connection Group leader, thank you so much for your hard work, care leaders, others of you that are listening. If, if you'd like materials that are involved in studying the Word of God together in small group, then please contact me, Trey, T-R-E-Y, at Northwood, no S, NorthwoodBaptist.com, and I will get you on the list so that you can get all the materials and uh, study your small group together with everyone else as we do this. And if you're in another church, we, we don't mind you doing that, either, doing that either. There are no secrets here, and there is nothing secret about what we're doing here uh, as we study the Word of God in the audio study guide. All right, so we're in Luke chapter 22. So as I said, go ahead and turn there. And if you're listening on late Saturday evening or early Sunday morning before you go to Life Connection Group, that is a great way to kind of review what you know and uh, what you want to know and how, what you're going to teach and kind of get it tweaked up and ready. So if that's what you're doing, that's great. If you use it as an opportunity to begin your study, that's also great. Maybe you're listening to this on Friday morning or or uh, maybe Saturday afternoon or something like that as you prepare for the upcoming Life Connection Group uh, quest, discussion questions and discussion. Well, we're going to go over the sermon first, and this is a rather lengthy sermon, so uh, excuse me as we just kind of fly through the first part and then we'll get into the main parts, okay? Luke chapter 22, verses 1 to 34. Uh, Pastor Tommy talked about in the, introduc in the introduction about food bringing us together and about sharing a meal and enjoying sharing a meal. And, and you, you know, it is enjoyable to share meals with people. And uh, we have the significance of being able to eat together. Some of the best times of fellowship and meaningful conversation, as he said in his message, uh, center around the table. And so it's not a bad thing. Um, so no meal, though, is more significant to any of us than the Lord's Supper. We sometimes refer to it as the Last Supper, but really it's the First Supper. Actually, in my uh, interestingly enough, in my Bible itself, it calls it the First Supper. And this is, happens on Thursday of Holy Week, and uh, Jesus is not uh, using just any meal to interpret his death. What he's doing is he's using the Passover meal to interpret his death. And it's an annual meal that was, was a way to remember the most important event in the ancient Jewish history, 
that was the Exodus. Uh, but that takes, uh, but take, he takes this ancient meal, the Passover, and he gives it a brand new meaning. All right, so we're going to look how that works. First thing we need to look at, and there's two truths that we find as we study this. And the first thing is this. Remember that Jesus has made you new. Remember that Jesus has made you new. So we have the Passover and the Festival of the Unleavened Bread, same, same feast, and uh, it's the most significant of Jewish holidays. And uh, remember uh, the Passover that took place in Exodus chapter 12. Now we read in Josephus that about 2.5 million people were in Jerusalem during Passover, and as many as 255,000 lambs were slaughtered. Can you imagine? Uh, the, yeah, that was a lot. I'm just telling you, that was a lot of death. And it was a crowded city at that. Uh, so this was a different Passover at this time period. We have the chief priests and the scribes who want Jesus dead. There's fear. They have a fear that uh, those who are supporting Jesus are getting more and more. They're getting louder and louder. They're getting more numerous. And so they come up with a plot. And they find one of Judas' own disciples, and they pay him to betray Jesus. And they uh, escort the religious leaders that wanted to catch Jesus. They escort him straight to Jesus when the crowds were not around so they could have Jesus rested because they still were afraid of the crowds. So we find in verse 3 that Satan enters Judas. And uh, we, we also know that you can be assured that Judas followed Jesus, but he did not believe in Jesus. John 6, 64 is very clear about that. If you want to use that passage and go back and show your people Matter of fact, we're going to talk about that later on in the questions. Um, so not only had the religious leaders been looking for an opportune time uh, to end Jesus' ministry, Satan had also been looking for an opportune time. So he, he, he sends Peter and John to prepare for the Passover, and they're carrying water and all kinds of stuff that men weren't supposed to do. And it was all just as he had told them. Of course, Jesus, he's, even in the small details of life, he is in control. And when things are a little chaotic, in their lives, Jesus was still in control. And so Jesus is making this new covenant. He's going to teach him about the new covenant. It's the way that he is going to make everything new. And this is a meal that he would not eat again until he would come and return. So here's the, let's go over real quickly the ancient Passover meal because it's so important to what we're talking about. Uh, so every single element of this feast had meaning. And by the way, my family has done this, and you can get a Passover meal booklet from the Jews for Jesus ministry. I don't know if they're, they're cost or you might send them to you free. I don't know. But we have a, one of those books and you can go through it with your own children. And it's really a neat way to explain to them the Passover and then link the Passover to what Jesus did. And we did, we did that as a family on what uh, the church calls Monday, M-A-U-N-D-I, Monday, Thursday. And it's the remembrance of the, of the Last Supper or the First Supper. Uh, so anyway, there are four courses. Uh, the first was to bring uh, to, that they might be brought out of affliction. The second was that they might be delivered from slavery. And by the way, you can look at Exodus 6, verses 6 through 7. The third, uh, third course was to redeem them. And then the fourth course was to make them his own people. So in, this cor in these courses, you had green vegetables, which of course reminded of life. They had bitter herbs, reminded of slavery. They had matzah, that was the unleavened bread. It's, it's kind of crunchy. And it's a, a, for them... Eleven was symbolic of sin, a reminder of a need to be holy before God. And then they had this little mixture, and this is actually my favorite part of the meal, a mixture of fruit and, and nuts and honey and, 
and some of the like raisins and dates and all that sweet stuff. And it was a reminder of the mortar of the bricks and the harsh work. And I don't know why that was a reminder of mortar and bricks and harsh work because, man, that stuff is good. But anyway, uh, then, of course, they had roasted lamb. And it was a reminder of the blood of the lamb that was placed on the doorpost. So the traditional Passover was a time of teaching when the father would preside and the children would ask, these four, ask four questions. The first was, why is this night different from all other nights? So then he would go into Passover, talk about Pharaoh and the people being let go and the horrific plagues and then the final plague, the nine, the nine horrible plagues and then that final tenth plague that was the worst. It was the, the, the death of the firstborn and the angel of death coming, coming to Egypt. And if the blood was over the doorpost, it said... Uh, death has already taken place here. You needn't come here. And so the death angel passed over. And that lamb that the blood was shed for was the substitute for the firstborn in that family. And the lamb uh, would protect, the blood of the lamb would protect the firstborn in the place that had put the blood over the doorpost. All right, so um, that, that's what he would tell them. And so uh, then the father would take the unleavened bread and he would hold it up and he'd say, this is based on Deuteronomy 16.3, this is the blood of, uh, bread of affliction which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. And in the same way, Jesus takes up the bread and he holds it up. He said, this is my body because he would experience the ultimate affliction. Go back to Isaiah chapter 53 and read, especially starting in verse 4, and reads through that and you'll see some of the things that he went through. Uh, what he went through was much worse than anything the Hebrews ever went through. The bread equaled that God became man, that he might experience the affliction for us. On the cross, Jesus was treated as if he had done everything that we did. He was our substitute so that, uh, uh, so that we might be treated as we had done everything he did. Isn't that amazing? What a substitute that he took. What, what? That's called substitutionary atonement. And then he took the, two, the cup, and uh, we have two cups in Luke's gospel. Um, regardless, he, he takes not just four, but two, uh, maybe even a third cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Redemption is found in the shedding of blood. And the blood, uh, the blood is the new covenant. It is where we find the new covenant. It seals the covenant. As we, we studied the covenants in our discipleship materials, also Pastor Tommy has mentioned them multiple times in messages, Genesis 15. And uh, when he promised Abraham, when he cut the sacrifice, when he cut the covenant, and that uh, he would pay the price, that they would become a great nation, and he would keep his promises. And the bottom line was, is the blood of the covenant teaches us what can wash away our sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not our works, not a sacrifice, but the sacrifice. And that's what the new covenant is. Centered around the death of Christ, not work and sacrifice. Because without the shedding of blood, we find out in the book of Hebrews, there is no forgiveness of sin. We have no hope without the crucifixion. Well, the Lord's Supper is that vivid reminder that we have that Jesus has come to give us new life. And as we come to the table, uh, we, ask these two, the, we can ask these two questions. First is this, in what ways are you settling for the old life? Now, there are people in your life connection that are settling for, old, settling for the old life in some things. Truth be told, you might be even settling for the old life in some things. Matter of fact, we probably are settling for the old life in some things. It might be anger. It might be a temper. It might be a, a sexual desire that you know you shouldn't have. It might be, or they might have 
um, uh, a desire not to follow God. They might have struggles with knowing what it means to be holy. Just all kinds of things. It could be that old life that has just got a stranglehold on them. And then the next question we need to ask is, in what ways do you need to put on the new? Uh, maybe it's growth in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, meekness. Or somebody said, what is meekness? Gentleness. Uh, anyway, all those things work together. Meekness is just being having a teachable spirit and self-control. So maybe you need to grow in those. Maybe you need to forgive someone. Maybe um, you need to have uh, God's perspective on a circumstance you're going through. Uh, maybe there's somebody that you need to pursue with the gospel. A simple prayer can be this. Help me to live out the new life you've given me. Help me to run from the old and run to the new. What a great prayer. You might want to even use that. Mark that down in your uh, materials there and use it in your prayer when we finish up. Uh, anyway, so the first truth was remember that um, Jesus, uh, let's see here, has made you new. And then the second truth is remember that Jesus has made us new. So Jesus has completely changed the meaning of the Passover. Disciples, they're, they're, they're kind of reeling from this, right? Um, they're experiencing this incredible, overwhelming thing. This is, this is not their father teaching them this. This is Jesus. Their father's nowhere around. And Jesus shocks everyone at the table then. He says, the hand of the one betraying me is at the table with me. Wow. Um, and so the, we have this most significant meal ever in human history, now followed by a fight between the disciples. Uh, they, were, they were offended that someone could betray Jesus. They had given three years of their lives of, to follow him. And then they start talking about who's the greatest and which one sacrificed the most and which one worked the hardest and which one uh, did Jesus like uh, did, like Jesus the most. And, you know, sounds so much like this. Who's the best? Uh, where do we rank? You know, it's sad, but we're many times all about personal glory, aren't we? So Jesus had just told the disciples that he was going to be their sacrificial lamb, and now they're fighting about which one of them is going to be the most glorious. And Tommy actually says this. He says, that's just boneheaded. Jesus uh, could have scolded his disciples, but he simply reminds them that they are not the like the rest of the world. The cross and the resurrection would made them new. In God's kingdom, the greatest of those who serve are like Jesus. The greatest of those who endure with Jesus. We see that in verse 28. God's going to exalt those who humble themselves for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. And salvation is for those who see that they're not great. Salvation is for those who see that they need a great Savior who is willing to sacrifice himself for us. And then interestingly enough, Jesus turns to Simon Peter. Apostle Jesus said, on, on your profession of faith, I'll build my church. And he said that that apostle, who was going to be so, so significant in the early days of the church, a disciple was tempted to think he was great. He said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. What is he saying? Your lack of greatness is going to let everybody see. You know, your, your, excuse me, your lack of humility, not your greatness, your lack of humility is going to be laid bare for everyone to see how you are not great at all. So we have a clear reminder when you realize the greatness of Jesus that he is the one who has changed human history through his death and resurrection. And it's the Lord's Supper that reminds us who is really great. And it also reminds us that he has made us new in Christ. We're not fighting to be, uh, have individual greatness. We're trying to point people to the greatness of Jesus. So as we do that, we need to ask a few questions. First is, who are you engaging? Are you isolating yourself from the body? Are you actually pursuing relationship within the church? Who are you edifying? You know, edify, that means to help someone improve. Uh, you know, where we, 
We are teaching others. And it requires us to grow ourselves so that we have something to pass on. Well, that's what our D groups are all about, by the way. Who are you encouraging? Uh, you know, who have you said, hey, listen, I, I see God at work in you. I see such great potential in you for the kingdom of God. Uh, you know, nobody ever has said I've just been encouraged too much, too much or enough. Encouragement is a powerful way to help someone continue their pursuit of Jesus. Now we're going to move from the table to the cross. And on the way to the cross, the disciples who argued about who was the greatest are going to fail Jesus. And Jesus knows they're going to fail, yet Jesus still goes to the cross as a sacrificial lamb so that we might sit at the table with Jesus and feast with him. Peter failed Jesus. None of us deserve a seat at the table. But we will all have a seat there, whether it's us or Peter or whoever it is. Um, because of faith, not because of failures. If you trust Jesus, you're going to have a seat at the banqueting table even though you don't deserve it. You need to tell this to your Life Connection group. This is where the gospel is. Jesus went to the cross. He drank the cup of God's wrath for you and me, and then he rose from the dead so that you can turn from your sins and turn to him by faith in him. And you'll have a seat with him for eternity. All right, let's get into the questions. Uh, let's start the conversation. And uh, first, first uh, question is this, and we're in Luke 22, verses 1 through 34. And Paul explains 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that everyone in Christ is a new creation. You might want to read that. What does it mean to be new, a new creation? And what I wrote down here, and this maybe can help you a little bit, help them think of what, uh, what new means and guide them to make the transition to a new person. Maybe, you know, you wanted something that was new. You didn't want an old car anymore. You wanted a brand new car. And why did you want a new car? Well, then kind of transfer that to what a new person would be. Everything new in their life, from their likes and dislikes, relationships, attitudes, even desires. Number two, what are the biggest challenges to living the new life that Christ has saved you for? Well, living and thinking in old ways. We kind of want to hold on to the new ways. A lot of times it's most comfortable for us living. Yeah, it might be guilty, but we also feel most comfortable there. We go back to the old lifestyles, the old attitudes, the old actions, the old way of thinking. So what you need to do is prompt your, your Life Connection group to add specific things that they deal with, uh, things that they have seen in others, uh, maybe. That might get... Uh, them to get get them to uh, open up a little bit, you know, maybe because they're not talking about themselves. But I'm putting fingers up there, you know, to make the quotes. Uh, they probably are talking about themselves, but it's okay. Uh, maybe some are so honest that they're going to tell you about the old part of their life that sneaks back into their lives. Number three, how does the Lord's Supper help us remember new life in Jesus? Well, it reminds us of the new life that we have found and been given in Christ. That life that He allowed, that that He allowed His body to be broken for you and shed his blood that we might have eternal life, right? Um, after all, it is in the blood that the cup symbolizes the new covenant that we made with God. This, Jesus himself said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Number four, how can you observe the Lord's Supper in such a way that helps you remember the life that you have in Christ? Jesus is not just using any meal to interpret his death. Remember, he's using the Passover meal. The Passover meal was an annual meal to remember the most important event in Jewish, Jewish history. But now he takes this ancient meal and he gives it new meaning because Jesus was doing, doing something new. He was going to the cross so that we could all be made new. All right, let's uh, get into the observation section of this as we look and see, uh, look into the passage and just kind of ask ourselves, what does the text say? 
All right, so Luke 21, 1 through 2. First of all, what was the Passover? Ancient Passover uh, was uh, the Passover meal was an uh, element of had a feast with four courses. Each course ended with a glass of wine that represented four promises of God to the Hebrews. And you can look at it. We talked about that, Exodus 6, 6 through 7. It was a time of teaching. The father would preside every year for the children, instruct them questions, uh, asking questions. The first was this, why is this night different from all other nights? The father would then tell the first story of the first Passover. He, he might read Exodus 12 or he might have it memorized or he might tell, tell it with a little bit more oomph uh, than just simply reading it and how Pharaoh didn't let God's people go and then the, the plagues and angel of death in Egypt. And after the final plague, Pharaoh finally freed the Hebrews and then the father would take unleavened bread. He would hold it up and bless it and would say, and this is based on Deuteronomy 16.3, this is the blood of, uh, bread of affliction, reminding us of Pharaoh, keeping us uh, to work for him as slaves. Then he, were, then he would say, this is to deliver us from slavery. This is to redeem uh, our people. And this is to make us his own people. He then said uh, something along this line, let everyone who hungers come and eat and come to the Passover meal. Second part of that question, why was the Passover meal so significant for the Jewish people in the days of Jesus? Well, many of the people seemed that they were following Jesus. And so it was making the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders, very nervous. So with the triumphal entry just a few days before, they were treating him as if he were the Messiah. They were welcoming him in Israel as a king would be welcomed. And... Uh, that they had, and this was the Messiah that they had been waiting for for so long. And so what the Passover had been promising for uh, 1,500 years uh, seemed as if it was coming true for them. All right, why is it significant that Jesus was to be crucified the week of Passover? Well, Jesus was the actual Passover lamb that would die for the sins of the people, including the Jewish people. His death would be for his people, right? just like the Passover lamb, for all that believed in, in that Passover lamb and, and put the blood over the, over the doorpost. Jesus would shed his blood. Um, the, he would become the actual Passover lamb, shed his blood that they might have forgiveness of sin. And the death angel would pass over them. All right, what did the chief priests and scribes want to put Jesus to death? Well, they, they feared support that Jesus was getting. We talked about that uh, he, from the people. Uh, so they were devising a plot. They had planned it so much that they had had Judas paid off they were, to betray Jesus, to escort these religious leaders to Jesus. And they did that when the crowds weren't around so they could leave Jesus arrested. All right, have someone read Luke 22, 3 through 6 and ask this question. What do these verses teach us about how Satan tempts people? Well, just like Judas' heart was already hard to Jesus, we must never let our hearts become that kind of fertile ground that Satan thrives in. And hardness of heart is where it all starts. All right, second, what does the second part of that question, what does it mean that Satan entered Judas? Well, we don't exactly know why he did, but we know that, as we said just a second ago, that he had allowed his heart to become fertile ground for Satan to work. Not only had the religious leaders been looking for that opportune time to end Jesus' ministry, Satan had also been looking for an opportune time to betray Jesus. And it was going to be done through Jesus uh, Judas, excuse me, one of his own disciples. All right, have someone read uh, John six sixty four. I think that would be important that you read that. How does this verse help you understand Judas's heart? Well, Satan entered Judas. Judas followed Jesus, but he did not believe.
All right. So I'm going to read, uh, and maybe you won't. This is a little bit longer, so you might want to have a couple of people read three verses apiece, three or four verses apiece, and ask this question. Why do you think Jesus tells the details about Jesus securing a room to share the Passover with the disciples? And what do these verses show us about Jesus? You can tie those two together, and I did in the answer. Uh, Jesus sent Peter, John, to prepare the Passover, and, you know, the idea of man car- a man carrying a jar of water. Uh, men didn't carry water jars. Women did. Uh, so, you know, he'll, he'll, so that, that whole thing would kind of stick out to everybody. Um, and by the way, the residents of Jerusalem expected to offer guests rooms to pilgrims for Passover celebrations, so it wasn't that weird to be asking. But anyway, verse 13, just as he had told them, so from the disciples' perspective, the unfolding events on Friday are going to seem chaotic. There was an arrest, a trial, a crucifixion. It seemed that Jesus had lost control. And verse 13 is a reminder that Jesus is in control of every detail leading up to his crucifixion. It was not chaos. It was the design and plan of God. All right, Luke twenty-two fourteen 14 to 23. What does Jesus mean in verse 16? Well, this was the meal that Jesus would not eat again with us, at all of us, by the way not just his disciples, but every one of us who are followers of Christ until his return. Matthew 26, 29 tells us that. Number five, what do these verses teach us about the Lord's Supper? Well, these verses remind us about who really is great. It's about Jesus. These are, they're a reminder that our great king has made you new and he's made all of us new together. And that a reminder that Jesus not only saved us from our sins, he also saved you for a family as followers together in Christ Jesus. All right, why is it so important that we regularly observe the Lord's Supper in the local church? Well, uh, I think it's a constant reminder that Jesus is gave his life for us, not that we would have individual greatness, but that we could make him great. We could, we could, we're unified in purpose, and the purpose is to point people to the greatness of Jesus, not to point people to ourselves. All right, next question. What is, the signif- what is the significance of the bread and what is the significance of the cup? Well, bread, God became a man to experience affliction for us. It is an invitation to come and find our nourishment in Christ's affliction. He died taking our sin and giving us the benefits of his perfect life and we are clothed in righteousness. The cup also was, was a picture of the blood that was put on the doorpost of, of the door and saying that someone has, something had died here and that the Passover lamb could come over in the same way Jesus died for us. And he uh, also shed his blood. And so we put the blood over the doorpost of our heart and, says, and say, with the shedding of blood, there's forgiveness. We don't need the death angel to come to us. We're protected. All right, uh, read Luke uh, twenty-two twenty. Have someone do that. What did Jesus mean when he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood? The blood of the covenant. A blood was used to seal the covenant. If you remember, we talked about it in the message as well, Genesis 15. And even if you want to jump to Exodus 24, first few verses there up to verse 8, you can read that. And But the bottom line is, what can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not our works, not our sacrifice, but the sacrifice of Jesus himself. All right, what is the new covenant? The new covenant is anything that centers around the death of Christ. It's not works and sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. You have no hope without the crucifixion. Jesus had predicted the fall of the temple in Luke 21, and that was saying the old is going to be gone. The need to come to a priest with your sacrifice is no longer. Why? 
because the Lamb of God himself is sitting at the table with you who is willing, and he is willing to be our sacrifice. All right, Luke 22, 24-34. Uh, what are the disciples arguing about who is the great? Why are the disciples arguing about who is the greatest? Well, the disciples are offended, if you remember, that someone would betray Jesus. And so they kind of get at each other's throat. Uh, who's the greatest? Which one sacrificed the most? Which one worked hardest for Jesus? So, you know, it's like, you know, why would any, you know, they, they're, they're, they kind of turn on themselves. Uh, which one did Jesus like the most? All those things. Uh, where do we rank? And Jesus has just told his disciples he's going to be their sacrificial lamb. And so now they're fighting about who's more glorious. Why does Jesus warn Peter? Well, Peter had kind of puffed himself up. He said, Jesus, I'll follow you all the way. And uh, he's the one that Jesus had said on your confession, I'm going to build my church. And he's the one that would be so significant in the early part of the church. He was, he was, but he was also a disciple who was tempted to think he was great. And he turns to Peter and he says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Your lack of greatness is going to be laid bare for everyone to see because you are not humble. What do these verses teach us about pride and humility? In God's kingdom, the greatest are those who serve like Jesus. The greatest are those who endure with Jesus. And God is going to exalt those who humble themselves for the sake of Jesus. All right, let's jump into the interpretation. And this is simply where we take the passage and we put it in a past tense sentence. And we help, them, help our, our Life Connection group uh, find words. Uh, so uh, you'll lead them to words like Passover, blood, bread, new covenant, Jesus' death, disciples, betrayal, um, uh, pride, humility, God's kingdom. So uh, help you know, talk about those words a little bit and then see if you can get someone to help make a past tense sentence that describe what the disciples were thinking, how they understood what was happening. And ultimately, if you have to kind of jump in a little bit, feel free to do that too, okay? Uh, let's see here. All right, let's get into the gospel. Uh, and you can't skip this question. We're studying these chapters, and we find that Jesus is that sacrificial lamb. And it's obvious, I think, where, what this is all about. He is the one whose blood in the new covenant, and that blood is shed on the cross of Christ. And we, none of us deserve that great banqueting table, but by faith, all of us can have a seat at the table. Peter failed Jesus. Other disciples failed Jesus. We will fail Jesus. But because we've trusted in him to forgive us of our sin, we will have a seat at that table. If you've never trusted Christ, you don't have a seat. If you trust Jesus, you'll have a seat at that same banqueting table. All right, application. How does the Lord's Supper remind us of new life? And by the way, go back to question number two and starting the conversation section. Now that you've been through what new life is all about, uh, you might want to see if their answers change a little bit and progress since we've studied it together as a group. Number two, in what ways are you settling for the old life? Uh, you can have people in your LCG share in what ways they're keeping the old life around. You know, it might be things they watch, things they read, people they hang around with, actions they take, ways they think, uh, how they act in traffic. That's my big one. Uh, so anyway, number three, in what ways do you need to put on the new? Ask how they they can begin to put the new way of living, how they can begin to put on the new way of living onto their uh, into their lives, right? And then number four, how can we better, uh, as the new people of God, live as a family of faith? How can we better live as the new people of God as a family of faith? Well, as the uh, new people of God, they can put off the old, they can put on the new, and they'll be able to see how they can live as the new people of God.
and they're going to be able to share a little bit of that, hopefully, in their lives. Well, guys, that's what we have for you. I hope that helped a little bit, and we're going to pray, and I will see you Sunday. And as always, be remembering that uh, you need to be getting me people that are good in discussion so we can talk to them. I want to take them out for coffee, take them out for dinner, and talk to them about how they can be involved in some Life Connection groups. So if, uh, if that's you, then please uh, find people in your, everybody has them in your Life Connection group. And don't be selfish. There are lots of people that need to hear the truth of the Word of God, and it's going to take all of us working together. It's going to take all of us uh, starting new groups so that more people can hear and respond because we want to have 100% of our people that are in worship in our Life Connection groups. And with us working hard and not being selfish and not holding on, we can see God do great things, okay? Let's pray, and we will see you on Sunday. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus you might use us in a great way to serve you, to please you, and honor you in our lives. And Father, we are not great. We are pointing people to your greatness. Lord, we are not the ones that do stuff so that people can uh, somehow be better or that we can somehow be better. It is a sacrifice of Jesus, not our sacrifice. It is a sacrifice of Jesus that makes that difference. Lord, help us to teach our people in our Life Connection group. And if there's somebody in our Life Connection group that doesn't know Jesus as Savior and Lord of their life, may today be the day they surrender. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. See you soon.